Hello everyone and welcome to the June 10th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Attorney General announced that California is suing Purdue Pharma, certain of its affiliates, and Dr. Richard S. Sackler, the former president and board member of Purdue. The allegations claim unlawful practices in the marketing, sale, and distribution of opioids. The 56-page complaint was filed in Los Angeles Superior Court on June 3rd. In addition to the lawsuit filed by the California Attorney General, the District of Columbia, Hawaii, and Maine each also filed individual suits against Purdue the same day. These states joined more than 40 others, including hard-hit Ohio and West Virginia and about 2,000 local and tribal governments that have already filed lawsuits against Purdue. However, these newest states seem to be way behind the litigation curve, as other states have been in litigation for years. And currently in one of the first trials is actually underway. Oklahoma was the first state to announce major settlements this year and kicked off the first trial in May against the remaining defendant. In March, Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin, agreed to pay a $270 million settlement to the state of Oklahoma. And then Teva Pharmaceuticals announced an $85 million settlement with the state of Oklahoma over its alleged role in fueling the opioid crisis. Both settlements occurred on the eve of trial. And now, trial is currently in progress against a remaining defendant, Johnson & Johnson. The new California lawsuit alleges that Purdue's illegal and misleading marketing and sales practices played a major role in contributing to the nationwide opioid crisis. It further alleges that Purdue created a public nuisance through its marketing and sale of opioids and misled healthcare professionals and patients about the addictive nature of opioids and their potential for abuse and diversion. What is missing from the California suit are the other traditional defendants. Most other suits include other opioid manufacturers such as Endo Pharmaceuticals and Johnson & Johnson's Janssen Pharmaceuticals, among others. Also missing from the California litigation are the distributors, including Amerisource Bergen, McKesson Corporation, and Cardinal Health. These are known as the Big Three. These key defendants allegedly distributed more than 80% of the opioids and failed to monitor, investigate, or report suspicious orders. And now our crime report. Opioid manufacturers Insys Therapeutics agreed with the government to a global resolution to settle the government's separate criminal and civil investigations. As part of the criminal resolution, Insys will enter into a deferred prosecution agreement with the government and will plead guilty to five counts of mail fraud and the company will pay a $2 million fine and a $28 million forfeiture. And as part of the civil resolution, INSYS agreed to pay $195 million to settle allegations that it violated the False Claims Act. Both the criminal and civil investigations stem from INSYS 
NSYS's payment of kickbacks and other unlawful marketing practices in connection with the marketing of the drug Subsys. Subsys is a sublingual fentanyl spray, a powerful but highly addictive opioid painkiller. In April 2018, the United States intervened in five key Tom lawsuits accusing INSYS of violating the Civil False Claims Act. In its complaint, the United States alleged that INSYS headquartered in Arizona paid kickbacks to induce physicians and nurse practitioners to prescribe the drug Subsys for their patients. In addition to payments for sham speaker program speeches, the kickbacks also allegedly took the form of jobs for prescribers' relatives and friends, and lavish meals and entertainment. The United States also alleged that INSYS improperly encouraged physicians to prescribe subsys for patients who did not have cancer, and lied to insurers about patients' diagnoses in order to obtain reimbursement for the prescriptions. A Los Angeles dentist was sentenced to 40 months in prison for his role in a $3.8 million health care fraud scheme. The dentist billed numerous dental insurance carriers for crowns and fillings that were never provided to patients. The dentist, 59-year-old Benjamin Rosenberg, was sentenced and also ordered to pay nearly $1.5 million in restitution. Rosenberg pleaded guilty on January 31, 2019 to one count of health care fraud. He was originally charged with six counts of health care fraud and two counts of aggravated identity theft. He had an office at the time located on Sepulveda Boulevard in Westchester, California. Rosenberg admitted that he submitted nearly $4 million in false and fraudulent claims to various insurance companies for dental care that he knew had not been provided. The claims were submitted to major carriers such as MetLife, Anthem, Cigna, Delta Dental, and others. Rosenberg was originally licensed by the Dental Board of California in 1988. An amended accusation seeking to revoke his dental license was filed by the California Attorney General, which accused Rosenberg of misconduct dating back to 2010. The dental board accusation alleged multiple instances of dental insurance fraud. In September 2017, he agreed to surrender his dental license, and on January 2, 2018, the surrender was accepted, and he is now no longer licensed as a dentist in California. The Labor Commissioner's Office has issued citations totaling nearly $600,000 in unpaid wages and penalties to Universal Structural Building Corporation of Chatsworth. The citations were issued after 62 construction workers were never paid for weeks of work on two projects in Hollywood and Ventura. J. H. McCormick Incorporated, a general contractor for one of the projects, was named jointly and severally responsible for about 10% of the citations, pursuant to a new labor code provision that holds general contractors liable for their subcontractors' wage theft violations. Universal's structural building 
is a subcontractor that provides concrete building services for residential and mixed-use developments at job sites in Los Angeles and Ventura. J.H. McCormick and Universal signed a contract with each other in 2018 for a residential and commercial project, the Essex Hollywood. A large group of Universal's employees came to the Labor Commissioner's office last November after working five to six days a week for eight to 14 hours a day without pay for the final weeks of that project. Investigators also received reports of wage theft at the Portside Ventura Harbor project when another group of Universal's workers came to the Labor Commissioner's office in January. Workers said when they asked for their final pay, they were told the company had no money and the general contractor was supposed to pay them. And in regulatory news, the Veterans Administration Mission Act of 2018 was designed to greatly improve veteran access to VA health care. This legislation's formal name is the VA Maintaining Systems and Strengthening Integrated Outside Networks Act. The act strengthens the VA's ability to deliver trusted, easy-to-access, high-quality care at VA facilities virtually through telehealth. One of the chief complaints about VA health care involved timely scheduling and appointments, care, and services. Under the VA Mission Act, the Department of Veterans Affairs is required to coordinate timely care, including help for those who need VA medical services outside their region of residence. The Act authorizes the VA providers to use telehealth technologies to deliver care over state lines and into a veteran's home. This allows the VA to enhance the accessibility, capacity, and quality of VA health care. It also directs the VA to implement a pilot program to establish mobile deployment teams to address and improve care in underserved areas. The VA says it is leading the healthcare industry in transparency by enabling veterans to compare data across the VA and the private sector so they can make informed decisions when selecting a provider. A plan by the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation to phase out coverage for OxyContin and its generic form by the end of the year began this month. The BWC will no longer pay for OxyContin or generic sustained-release oxycodone tablets for workers who suffered on-the-job injuries after June 1. Injured workers currently on those medications will have until December 31 to discontinue their use or switch to a different product on the agency's formulary. The Bureau of Workers' Compensation is encouraging injured workers to discuss other effective painkillers on its formulary with their physicians and to explore non-medication treatment options for chronic pain. The Ohio governor praised the agency's new rule. The rule does not apply to immediate-release oxycodone, a medication used for acute pain. The rule follows a thorough study over the last year by the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, Pharmacy, and Therapeutics Committee. It also follows a series of actions in recent years to mitigate the opioid epidemic's impact on Ohio's workforce. 
The agency's 2016 opioid rule requires physicians to follow specific best practices when prescribing opioids to injured workers. And the pain management best practices interagency task force was established to propose updates to best practices and issue recommendations that address gaps or inconsistencies for maintaining chronic and acute pain. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is overseeing this effort with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and U.S. Department of Defense. The task force has now just published its final 116-page report. 50 million adults in the United States have chronic daily pain, with 19.6 million adults experiencing high-impact chronic pain that interferes with daily life or work activities. However, the task force emphasizes the importance of individualized patient-centered care in the diagnosis and treatment of acute and chronic pain. This report is therefore broad and deep and will have sections that are relevant to different groups of stakeholders regarding best practices. It emphasizes the development of an effective pain treatment plan after proper evaluation to establish a diagnosis with measurable outcomes that focus on improvements including quality of life, improved functionality, and activities of daily living. A multidisciplinary approach for chronic pain across various disciplines using one or more treatment modalities is encouraged when clinically indicated to improve outcomes. These include five broad treatment categories. One is various classes of medications, including non-opioids and opioids, should be considered for use and restorative therapies, including those implemented by physical therapists and occupational therapists. Also interventional approaches, including image-guided and minimally invasive procedures as diagnostic and therapeutic treatment modalities for acute, acute or chronic and chronic pain when clinically indicated. Also behavioral approaches for psychological, cognitive, emotional, behavioral, and social aspects of pain. And finally, complementary and integrative health, including treatment modalities such as acupuncture, massage, movement therapies, and spirituality should be considered when clinically indicated. Continued medical and scientific research is critical to understanding the mechanisms underlying the transition from acute to chronic pain. And in medical news, people who have had Mild traumatic brain injuries may be more likely to have lasting functional deficits that get in the way of daily activities than patients who experience other types of injuries. This new study has just been published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Neurology. The new study involved 1,154 patients with mild traumatic brain injuries and 299 patients with orthopedic injuries but no head trauma. The groups remained on a similar trajectory until about six months after their injuries. After one year, brain injury patients were worse off than the non-brain injury group. By this point, 53% of them still had functional limitations compared with only 38% of the other trauma patients. 
Researchers noted that unfortunately many patients with mild traumatic brain injuries do not get any follow-up care after being discharged from the hospital. While patients with moderate to severe brain injuries are almost always admitted to a hospital or intensive care unit, there is less consensus about the best way to manage people with the milder injuries. Even when brain injuries are called mild, they can still lead to persistent physical, psychiatric, and cognitive problems that result in lasting impairments and disability, especially when people go untreated. Car crashes were the most common cause of brain injury in the study, accounting for 36% of the cases, followed by falls at 24%. And in other injury news, the State Compensation Insurance Fund will test out new software that lets them provide authorizations for patient treatments in real time through their electronic medical records rather than waiting several days for decisions to come by way of fax. The chief medical officer for the State Compensation Fund said his agency decided to fund development of this software because leaders wanted to get care approved faster for injured workers. Although the state fund developed a new software known as UR Connected, it is something they believe could benefit any workers' compensation insurer. Connexia is the software company that developed UR Connected for the state fund, and Skiff is hoping that other insurers will want to adopt it. UR Connected integrates with and leverages existing information systems in the medical provider's offices, so neither the providers nor their staff have to go offline and fill out paperwork to request approvals for patients' treatment. With UR Connected, evidence-based medical procedures would get approved while patients are still in the exam room, and requests that require utilization review will be sent to the appropriate personnel more quickly. A spokesman for the state fund's medical claims division said that as the technology gets more widely adopted, some of the state fund's staff will get different assignments, but the state fund does not foresee any layoffs. State fund is paying Connexia to help ensure the UR Connected system can be smoothly adopted to various information systems that doctors, hospitals, and other types of medical practitioners use and they hope to get large groups and high-volume practitioners set up with the system soon. If providers are not ready to integrate their information systems with UR Connected, they have the option of going through a website portal to request approvals for treatments. The plan is to also integrate with bill payment to try and get practitioners paid faster. And medical testing giant Quest Diagnostics has confirmed a third-party billing company has been hit by a data breach affecting 11.9 million patients. The laboratory testing company revealed the data breach in a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The breach was a result of malicious activity on the payment pages of the American Medical Collection Agency, a third-party collections vendor for Quest. The unauthorized user siphoned off information from the website, like credit card numbers, as well as medical information and personal data from the site. But laboratory tests were not included in the stolen data. Quest has suspended sending collections requests to this company and is working with law enforcement on the effects of the breach. 
Other companies have been hit in recent months by attacks on their websites. Highly targeted credit card skimming attacks hit Ticketmaster, British Airways, and consumer electronics giant Newegg. This is the second breach affecting Quest customers in three years. And that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folst with Floyd's Scarin, Manuki, and Langaman. Thanks for joining us today. So please drop by again next week for more news.